The Gospel according to Mark, the sixth chapter. King Herod heard of the Gospel's preaching, for Jesus' name had become known, and some were saying, John the baptizer has been raised from the dead. And for all of this, for these reasons, these powers are at work in him. But others said, it is Elijah. And others said, it is a prophet, like the one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard of it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For Herod himself had sent men who arrested John and bound him and put him in prison on account of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because Herod had married her. For John had been telling Herod, it is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to kill him. But she could not, for Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he protected him. When he heard him, though, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he liked to listen to him. But an opportunity came when Herod, on his birthday, gave a banquet for his courtiers and officers and for the leaders of Galilee. And when his daughter, Herodias, came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guest. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you wish, and I will give it. And he solemnly swore to her, whatever you ask of me, I will give you even half of my kingdom. She went out and said to her mother, what should I ask for? The mother replied, the head of John the baptizer. Immediately she rushed back to the king and requested, I want you to give me at once the head of John the baptizer on a platter. The king, the king was deeply grieved. Yet, out of regard for his oaths and for the guests, he did not want to refuse her. So he immediately sent a soldier of the guard with orders to bring John's head. He went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And then the girl gave it to her mother. And when his disciples heard about it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. The Gospel of the Lord. Thank you, Benny. Sometimes when you say the Gospel of the Lord doesn't always fit. But there is good news in the midst of all that. Gracious God, let the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight and be fruitful for our walk in you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. The plumb line. The standard. Today in our scripture readings, we have the sublime and the sordid. Two scripture readings, Amos and our gospel reading from Mark, sandwich some of the most beautiful words 
in all of Scripture a long sentence about the good news. But the sandwich, the bookends of that good news is pretty sordid. We've got Amos on one side and Herod on the other. We've got Amos in the northern kingdom on one side and then Herod and all of his political machinations going on on the other. And there's a confrontation that happens in our scripture reading today. As the word comes to us, God's standard and human standards. So on the one side, let's talk about Amos really quick. Amos is speaking to the northern kingdom. This is a time in the history of Israel when you've got um, a divided kingdom. And so basically, Amos is a prophet that's been told to go and preach to the king of the northern kingdom, and that's who you're hearing about. And they had, be at this time in their history, were quite wealthy, at least the power elite were, um, the rulers were, and they, Amos, if you read the whole book, will say that you've abused your wealth, you haven't taken care of the vulnerable and the poor in your land, and God's judgment is coming. There's a plumb line that Amos holds up to the northern kingdom. And they're doing all kinds of horrible things, and they are not measuring up. Well, then what does John the Baptist do with Herod? Now, this is Herod's, the greats, one of his sons. He killed a lot of, Herod the Great killed a lot of his children when he thought that they were a threat. But these are, once Herod the Great dies, his kingdom is divided up into four sections, and this is Herod Antipas down in Jerusalem area. Philip is a brother of his, and Herod Antipas had divorced his own wife and married his brother's wife. And John the Baptist says, and he holds up God's standard, the plumb line. Now Herod is interesting character, Herod Antipas. He likes to listen to John. He has almost a, some kind of spot in his heart for John. He knows he needs to arrest him and, and shut him up. But now in this banquet he gets swept up with ego and arrogance and makes a promise that that he'll regret and he does and so he ends up killing John the Baptist who held up the plumb line going back to Amos what do what does the king and what does the high priest say to Amos get out of town go down there to the south and preach to them get out of town so when we see the plumb line held up of God's standard, God's justice and righteousness, in both these examples, there is no repentance, but the exact opposite, an effort to silence the plumb line, to get it out of sight, to get rid of it. And that is one way that human beings respond to that standard, is they get rid of it. one way or the other. The conviction is so strong they'll stoop to murder sometimes. Interesting. Now if you look at the whole sweep of Scripture, and you might even say, wow, God's judgment on the northern kingdom was pretty harsh because what does God say? Well, you're going to, 
you're going to go off into exile. You're going to be swept away. That seems kind of harsh, maybe. But note, it only happens after they didn't repent. What would have happened if the northern kingdom and the high priest and the king would have said, oh, you're right, and rent their clothes and put on ashes and sackcloth that sign of repentance and, and returned to God and God's righteousness and justice and, and tried to you know, align with that plumb line of God? What would have happened? I don't know. In the book of Judges, you have this cycle. The people go into idolatry, they err, God's judgment comes, and then they repent, you know, the, the consequences come. Then they repent and God restores them. And you have this flow. But here, no, no repentance. Herod takes care of John the Baptist. Some things are more important to Herod than God's plumb line. So, Here's the first thing I'd like to point out to us today with this, with this plumb line. Here in our church, all Christian churches probably this is true of, but especially true in our church where we begin every Sunday, we deal with the plumb line differently. We deal with it by confessing our sins, not denying it. We say the way to deal with it is first a sense of repentance, a sense that, wow, we have missed the mark, we are out of plumb, we are out of line, we are not true. But let's talk about today. Is there a plumb line today for us? Is there a plumb line in the church? Last week we talked about the right-hand kingdom and the left-hand kingdom of God and how God works through civic world and then God also works through the gospel and the preaching of the word in the right-hand kingdom. But is there a plumb line on both of those sides? You know, it used to be in our society that the Ten Commandments was kind of one way to sum up the plumb line. If you've ever been to the Supreme Court, anybody ever been to the Supreme Court in Washington, D.C.? Who sits right above the justices? Moses. And the Ten Commandments. But all the other systems of jurisprudence, all the other plumb lines from many religions and many philosophies are all around that top of the Supreme Court. The interesting thing today, and I'm not going to go way down this as a rabbit hole, and, and I thought I might have got myself in trouble last week. I'd really get myself in trouble if I went too far on this one this week. But it's interesting in a democracy, which is also a republic, right? That can, the, can human beings just decide what the plumb line is? Hey, if you get enough people to vote, does that make it right? I don't know. But it's interesting. But So then we had a republic that goes along with that democracy that says we have certain standards, plumb, a plumb line that is not human of human origin, but is, has a transcendent referent. That's a fancy word. That, in other words, this is true, and this came to us. We didn't invent it. And it's interesting, when you have that, then that makes it more of a stable plumb line. Now, I wasn't sure where I'd say this in the sermon, but I'll say it here. There's always a process of trying to take 
whether it's the Ten Commandments or any standard, God's plumb line that was spoken and given so long ago in an ancient culture, now long a date, there is work that we have to do to rightly apply that to modern times. I am not a, what some people would call a fundamentalist, etc. But I do worry when we lose the grounding of a transcendent referent for our plumb line. Because then you've got chaos. Whatever else anybody, you know, happens to say. And I think in the left-hand kingdom, we're wrestling with that as the culture. But that's not really why you came here, and that's not why I got up here to talk about that. I want to talk about the plumb line that we live with each and every day in our lives. Everyone deals with the plumb line. Everybody. There's no escaping it. I would call it the tyranny of the plumb line. You know, Martin Luther said, as you've often heard us talk about, that whatever your heart entrusts itself, I say, is your God. Well, everybody has a plumb line, whether it's religious-based or not. Everybody has a standard, a set of expectations for themselves and others. And so one way, another way that we can deal with this plumb line in our lives is just to work harder. You can deny it, you can kill it, you can push, silence it, you can shut it up, you can get rid of it somehow. Or a lot of people just say, well, I'm going to work harder and harder and harder to measure up to that plumb line. I'm going to do better. <laughs> but it isn't always, the plumb line is not always simply rules and regulations or a set of standards or ethics. I can, let's talk about teenagers. Let's talk about the social media world that our kids are growing up in and that now we live in and that many of us kind of grew up in. What is their plumb line? It's what other people think. It's what their peers think. It's what clothes they wear, what they say, who they hang out with, what their Twitter feed looks like, how many likes they have on their Facebook or, well, they don't do Facebook, but on, on whatever, new social media, Tinder, whatever, how many likes they have. And it is oppressive, and it is a plumb line. It's something by which they measure their worth. And it's scary. But just coming to church this morning, as I was listening to the radio, I was listening to an article on COVID-19 survivors. And one of the biggest psychological things, which is interesting, because I wouldn't have necessarily thought of this, but now that I've thought about it for a few seconds, it makes perfect sense. There's a big thing about survivor guilt for COVID-19, people who've had COVID-19, especially those who were really sick, especially those who were in the more vulnerable population, especially those who went on the respirator for months and then survived, but others didn't. And there's something called survivor guilt guilt. I survived. Why me, not somebody else? Hello, plumb line. Our combat veterans know this well. Why did my brother, why did my sister today survive and not survive, and why did I survive? That's a plumb line. So how do we deal with it? Well, we can work harder sometimes. 
In fact, that was in this radio story, what was said is some of the survivors are dealing with their survivor guilt by trying to do more kind things and good things for other people in honor of those who didn't make it. And, I, and that's cool. I think that's great. But still, that's a tyranny of that plumb line. I'm glad they're doing that. In fact, let me just, you know, let's switch metaphors here a little bit, watching my time here. So some of you know that I took a real last-minute trip to Phoenix. How many of you knew, heard about that? My, oh, look at that. You're plugged into my social media. Woohoo! I got lots of likes. Woo! So I've, as I've talked about many, a lot, but just enough to keep the new f folks in, informed, my mom and dad's sports apparel business, little mom and pop shop, got the Phoenix Suns first contract. She designed their logo and designed their original uniforms, and we did that for 20 years. So we had this huge attachment in our family to the Phoenix Suns. And some of you, and I have to admit that I've kind of checked out of NBA basketball for quite a long time, but of course with the Suns now being in the finals, Hello, um, and we don't have a basketball team here in Seattle, so we're f it's fine. I can talk about this. Um, so anyway, so they're in the final, so I get plugged in, and so I took a whirlwind trip to Phoenix and watched and got to go to the game two, and it was an exciting game, but there was a moment in that game that if you happen to watch it on TV that really struck me when it comes to the sermon today and this plumb line. DeAndre Aiden is the Suns really star, one of their three probably best players, center that they drafted a few years ago. He's a young kid. He's 21 or something like that. Just a kid. And he's had a great series. He's done wonderful. But at that game, he almost couldn't catch the ball. And the Milwaukee Bucks center, whose name, Giannis is his first name. I can't say his last name. He's from Greece. It's very long. And so he was really having his way with him. And you could see DeAndre getting more down and more down the whole game. And, he, and it just, you could just see that it, he, there was a plumb line that he was not measuring up to, and it was crushing him. So there's a moment where the coach of the Suns, um, who I'm so impressed with, um, Monty Williams sits down in the chair, come over here, sits down in the chair and grabs DeAndre's hands and he's talking to him and DeAndre has got his head down like this. And so Coach Williams says, look, look, here's, this is the deal. Get back in transition. If you don't have Giannis, find a man and be a guard. Okay, that's basketball technical stuff. And then he says to him, look at me. Look at me. You set a high level for yourself. That's why you're down. That's great. Now go reach that level, okay? And you can reach it with force. It doesn't have to be stats all the time. Go dominate the game with force because you set a high level for yourself. Go dominate the game with force. And he sent him out. And DeAndre Aiden, in the last four minutes, made a difference in that game. Now, there's one thing I really like about what Monty said to his center, and then one thing I'd like to change for us in our Christian walk. It was the perfect thing to say to a center on a basketball court, and that is, 
work hard, forget about the stats, forget about the results. And I would tell every parent who's listening that when it comes to your kids and the plumb line of grades and standards, reward them for working hard and not for the results. You keep rewarding them for the results, straight A's, and you're just going to raise up kids who are perfectionists, who anytime they don't measure up are going to be completely depressed. And believe me, the universities and everything, it's, it's the standards are oppressive for our young people today. Sick oppressive, in my humble view. Reward them for, get out there and work hard. That's what Monte Williams said when he said, you know, you know, go out and dominate with force. In other words, go out and dominate with effort. But then he said, you can do that. But what Monty couldn't say to him, that I get to say to you, is that the way to deal with the plumb line is not with your force, not by trying harder, not by shutting up or changing the plumb line, not by getting rid of the standard, but by going to the cross. The Apostle Paul beautifully says it in the midst of our two readings today. This is what he says. And An Annika, if you can bring up that other slide now, that's perfect. Paul says, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I love that verb, lavish. I mean, just think of lavishing, just getting soaked in God's grace. That's the plumb line. That's what trues us up. That's how to deal with the plumb line. Yes, get out there and work hard. Let justice roll down like waters, but in Christ, justice did roll down and washed over us all, his righteousness. Hey, when you're feeling survivor guilt or you haven't measured up, you go back to God's plumb line, Christ Jesus our Lord and his cross. Amen.